Are you ready? It's that time! Hello and welcome to another episode of Man Buns and Jesus. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Pastor Ben Olschlager from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church here in the lovely and relatively warm state of Michigan, at least today. We're supposed to get like a foot of snow tomorrow. Um, it's going to be great. Uh, with me today is the bewildered and somewhat deer in the headlights Preds fan known as Pastor Josh Laborious uh, out in Eastvale, California. Well, technically, he's currently in Corona, right? I am. I am. Church also, is... we're not going to talk about hockey today. We're, we're not going to do it. <laughs> Josh is in a it's period. It's not what this day is about. Josh is in a period of mourning, but that's okay. Um, it did snow here yesterday, though. I mean, obviously, none of it made it to the ground, but I looked out my window, and there were snow flurries, and I thought, that's it. This is the end. The end of time has reached us, and uh, this is how it starts. That's. I'm not surprised that that was your response to flurries. Did the did the city shut down too while they were at it? Oh no, because okay. I mean, by the time it hit the ground, it was water. Okay. So. Anyway. Anyway. Hey, Josh. Well, here's what we're talking about, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Um, we're going to kind of pick up on, we did a mini-series, if you'll recall, a couple weeks ago, and we talked about sexuality, and we talked about self-defense, coming, and that was coming out of um, some, I don't want to say issues, but for the sake of concise language, I'm going to say issues with the new large catechism that people had. And we thought we were done. We thought we were good until some more details came out about who had been driving a lot of those complaints. And it, and it was, it was kind of bad. It was kind of bad. The, the actors behind it were, were not really, I guess I, I shouldn't get assumed to know their motives, but they, they weren't theologically concerned so much as they were driven by different ideologies that they had, um, some of which were definitely extremist ideologies with different uh, political stances. Anyway, we're not here. We're not going to talk about them, but it kind of part of the response was a acknowledgement a statement from our national church body from our synodical president that we reject racism as a synod that we do believe racism is a sin um, so we thought it might be appropriate if somewhat dangerous for us to talk and, and this has been a topic that's been on our list of potential topics for a while and we thought well maybe we should just finally bite the bullet and break our teeth um, so, so that's what we're going to be talking about today is racism. And before Ben kind of jumps in, I, I want to set some 
some ground rules for you as a listener that I hope you will follow. The first is remember that we are a people of grace. It is entirely possible that over this next hour we say something that we shouldn't or we say something in a way that maybe is less clear or or something than we should. We apologize for that. We are we're going to do our best. Our our goal is to be faithful to the uh to the confession that we share. Um so we ask that you take everything that follows with a measure of grace and do your best to put the best construction on this. Um and I, listen to it for what it is and that is we are reflecting on the realities we're facing in a in a theological light in the light of our faith um and don't make what we say bigger than it is and as necessary will we'll talk about maybe what i mean by that so with that ben uh ben wanted to get us started on kind of maybe some of our legacy as lutherans when it comes to this kind of issue uh, and I don't know what he's going to say. So, Ben, uh, please don't make me quit. <laughs> uh, I think you'll be okay. Um, I didn't mean the church. I meant the podcast. Like, don't make me walk well, out of the I, room. I figured that that was the case, but either way. Um, so one thing that it's it's kind of important for us to remember as Lutherans is that there are some um preconceived notions around lutheranism that exist um mostly for a reason um if you ask a person you know who is a lutheran more often than not they're going to tell you that it it looks like josh and i uh usually somebody who is white um often with a german or or scandinavian heritage um some eastern european as well but um which is that's where our denomination yeah came from. so it's that, where that makes a lot of sense certainly um but that also factors into our history a little bit in terms of some of the things that lutheranism has interacted with um some of the things that lutheranism has been a part of and that that circles back even to luther himself um, I don't need to spend a ton of time on this because I'm guessing that a lot of our, our listeners are familiar with this. Or um, don't care. <laughs> I haven't even gotten to the point yet. Um, the Middle Ages. Well, you're, you're setting up a discussion about Luther, which is historical theology. That's fair. So my assumption is someone's either familiar with it or they don't care fair. to be familiar with it. Anyway, continue. That's fair. Uh, it's yeah anyway so the middle ages were not kind to outsiders in europe um regardless of who you were there were strong lines drawn at national borders at linguistic borders uh on ethnic excuse me on ethnic on ethnic lines through communities um some of that was due to church-related policies for example there was a significant hatred of the jews in the the middle ages and and the the reformation reformation era um and that was mostly down to the fact that the church forbid anyone within the church uh from charging interest on a loan 
which meant that the only people in the in a community that could do that were oftentimes the Jews. And so they became the bankers, they became wealthy, and that became a, a sore point for a lot of Christians in the Middle Ages. Um, there were literally um, crusades in the Middle Ages perpetrated by princes and kings against Jewish communities in Europe. Um, and there was a lot of atrocious violence and, and hatred that went on there. Um, and Luther in his day and time fed into that. Um, for a good portion of his life, he wasn't necessarily um, feeding into that ideology too strongly. But towards the end of his life, uh, he dealt with a lot of illness. And as his mind went, he started to become um, pretty racist, honestly, uh, against the Jews. Um, and some of that ideology, some of that writing got taken up by various rulers in Europe uh, throughout the years. Um, and I'm going to skip ahead here to the 1900s, um, when a particular guy named Adolf Hitler, um, got a hold of some of those writings and began to use them to manipulate the church. Um, the, the church in Germany was not necessarily distinctly Lutheran as Josh and I know it. Um, people who uh, observe and, and hold to the, the Book of Concord, the, the confessional document that Josh and I have to, uh, the people who are at least nominally Lutheran. Um, and Hitler was able to take Luther's words on the Jews and use them to turn 90% of the church in Germany into a pretty racist and uh, nationalist um, organization that helped perpetrate a lot of the crimes against the Jewish people in Germany and Eastern Europe throughout World War II. Um, and that's just the European side of things. On the, the American side of things, um, our own denomination, the LCMS, had segregated seminaries uh, into the 1900s. Um, there are portions of different Lutheran church bodies across mm -hmm. the United States that uh, were very pro-slavery uh, and fell into a lot of that idea. Um, and there are you know aspects of the very strong german heritage that a lot of of lutherans come from um that has become whether we like it or not attractive to uh, certain strains of people in the country um and so is lutheranism inherently racist no but does Lutheranism have a history that includes a fair amount of racism? Yes. Um, 
and as as pastors in a denomination where that does exist we have to ask ourselves how do we interact with that history and how does that influence or impact our ministry especially as we try to reach uh, communities that aren't necessarily the historic Lutheran base. Um, and this is where I'm going to throw it back to Josh. Do you want to add anything to the history that I've just given or, <laughs> or note anything on that history um, before you jump in on, on some of those other uh, questions and, and topics? Um. I don't, I don't have a ton to add because as Ben knows, and as many of my seminary colleagues know, I don't really, I'm not a history guy. I, I, I struggle to care about historical theology, about even, I, and I know the line is, if you don't know your history, you're doomed to repeat it. <laughs> I'm pretty familiar with history, especially like compared to the average American, right? In high school, I was I wanted my my grades, so I learned. Um, that does not mean I have at, at any point had a passion or or really even an enjoyment for learning history. Um, but what I do want to point out to kind of keep us balanced, there there were also voices in the Lutheran Church who spoke who spoke up for what was right. Right, mm -hmm. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is is a really notable example. Um, who spoke up against the Nazi regime during World War II, during, during their reign. Um, and he spoke against it, and ultimately he lost his life for it. Um, but there are voices like that scattered through history. And like I said, not a history guy, so I can't give you any more names. Mm -hmm. But there, there are people who have faithfully spoken for what was right, even though uh, the people around them were advocating for, or at very least, abdicating, abdicating to people who were doing what is wrong. Um, and if if you're sitting there, because I've had this struggle in my life, there is this question of, well, I didn't do any of those things. Why does it matter? And I think there is a there's a there is a strand of thought today that you are you can kind of be inherently racist, and I want to reject that. I I think that uh, when we're talking about stuff like this, we should really measure people by their words and by their actions, uh, not by the color of their skin. Mm -hmm. um, but that's not to say the stuff doesn't matter because perception matters. Mm -hmm. So if when you say Lutheran, when, when you go into a conversation and you say, oh, I'm Lutheran, you, you have to at least be aware of some of the connotations that other people are going to have with that. Um, now, I will say, I think that that is diminishing quickly how much meaning Luther, Lutheranism carries with it. Uh, because, I mean, as a society, I don't think there's as much appreciation for history 
as maybe there was previously. Mm -hmm. um, and there's also not as much uh, instillment of like Christianity because out here, most of the people I come in contact with, if I say, oh, I'm Lutheran, their response is going to be, what is that? They, there's, there's not familiarity there um, because it's not really part of the greater culture out here. So uh, f like if you're, if you're one of my members and you're listening to this, you might not, it's good to be aware, but you, you probably aren't going to have to contend with those presuppositions nearly as frequently because most of the people you meet are going to have no idea what Lutheranism is. Um, you say Luther, and they're going to think Martin Luther King Jr., not Martin Luther. Uh, so, and... Maybe a way to summarize all of that is, as Lutherans, we're going to reckon with some of the scars that exist because of our church's history, even if we ourselves don't necessarily contribute to them actively. Yeah. So, and I, I, so Ben and I were talking about doing this, this topic this morning, we were texting about it. Uh, I was actually, I was in, I was in the gym while well, I was on my way to the gym. And then when I was working, working out, I thought about this a lot. And what we want to do here is we want to make sure we keep this balanced because there are when it comes to discussions about race, I, I do genuinely believe there are chasms on either side of where we should be. Because on the one side, there are those who say, oh, we don't need to be concerned with racism at all. We, like, we don't need to have these conversations. And I don't think that's right because the reality is we are called to love people. Mm -hmm regardless of who they are, regardless of where they come from. And race is a part of some people's experience. So we have to engage with that. We have to recognize that. And we also, you gotta make sure you're not, you're not doing racism, right? Like I, I genuinely, and I don't know that I actually have met anyone who personally who is genuinely racist uh then the look on your face tells me that i might be wrong but um, no, i'm not saying somebody that you've met um but i mean josh and i went to uh to seminary in st louis missouri which finds itself at an interesting crossroads kind of on the the borderline between the north and the south both historically culturally uh ideologically um, and it also became a, a significant point of um, immigration in the wake of um, the Civil War and some of the Jim Crow laws and a lot of other things. And so there's been a fair amount of uh, racial tension in the city of St. Louis. Um, and it, it kind of persists to this day. You see things like... Um, right. Like there's a very uh, famous kind of uh, socioeconomic line called the Del Mar Divide, where a specific street really pretty starkly contrasts the wealthier and, and poorer part of St. Louis. And it's also very racially divided along that line. Um, but I definitely ran into people during my time in St. Louis, some of them who were members of Lutheran churches in the area, 
who still had pretty racist ideologies. And I'm not going to chalk that up to them being racist. A lot of that, I, I'm sure, has to do with St. Louis being what it is in the grand scheme of history. But those things do exist and we need to know. Right. No, what I what I was saying is because I'm sure I have met racist people, whatever. I'm, I was more saying I don't know anyone who personally mm -hmm. like I don't have a I don't have a serious relationship with anyone who uh, has ever racist. Right. Or <laughs> or has like has ever treated someone differently because of their race. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so there's there's the one side. There are those who say we, we shouldn't talk about this at all. And I, I think that's a mistake. Um, if for no other reason than perception matters. So we have to deal with what a lot of people in the country perceive, uh, how they perceive their world. Um, on the flip side, there are those who like want to see racism everywhere. Mm -hmm. And uh, this we, we did a podcast on critical theory, but I've, I've been in an ethics class since then where we talked about critical theory. And part of the issue with critical theory, much like our episodes on conspiracy theory, is if you are looking in the in the negative space, right, if you're looking for stuff like by what is not there, you are never going to be done mm -hmm. because there will always be negative space. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is if you say, well, there is no. Uh, I'm trying to think of a non-threatening example here. Can I throw a history um, one at you? I maybe. Yeah, go for it. So communist Russia, uh, and I bring this up because um, a lot of the underlying um, theories behind um, critical theory are related to the same Marxist ideology that spawned communism. But in communist Russia, they were constantly trying to find ways to make people more equal. Um, and along the way, it oftentimes led to a lot of apathy. Um, and their ultimate like settling point in a lot of communities, there still was inequality. Um, and so they they still felt like there was more to be done, but ultimately their settling point was things still weren't great, but everybody was still kind of equal because so much apathy and indifference and um, kind of helplessness had set in in those communities that like they just didn't know where else they could go. And that translates into um, some of the conversation around critical theory, um, not vouching for everything that he's written since, but J.D. Vance, uh, Hillbilly Elegy, the idea of of learned helplessness um where people like the more excuses you give somebody as to why they can't achieve what they've been told they can achieve the more they're going to undervalue themselves and underachieve um and critical theory plays into a lot of those things um yeah so those are our two extremes that we're that we're trying to because there is it's it's a conversation worth having, but you don't want to overcorrect on the on the for the chasm on the other side where mm -hmm. everything is always about race. Mm -hmm. 
It is one facet of the human experience. And really in the grand scheme of things, it's a pretty small one. Mm -hmm. um, now, a couple of things, because you, we brought it up, and because this has been a big part of the national discussion in our church body, is critical race theory, CRT, and Black Lives Matter, which typically they are brought up in the same conversation. Um, and I don't know if Ben's gonna gonna track with me on this, so this might be a point of disagreement for us. But there there was a point uh, in our seminary career where there were some people who kind of made this argument for uh, specific, specifically for Black Lives Matter that you can how do they put it you can agree with the statement even though you take issue with the organization right and there it was this idea of there's this principle that we should value the black lives um and you kind of ignore the organization that's behind the movement and i have a lot of i i think i've thought about it a fair bit and i disagree pretty strongly with that because in the same way that we're having this conversation because the perception is out there the organization and the movement are very closely interlinked and i think no one is going to wait for you to explain where you are drawing the line of association because black lives matter the organization not the movement the organization has their hands in some places that as christians we would say you shouldn't have fingers in those pies um and with critical race theory, I think it's because there are some who say, oh, this is a fine thing. You know, they're just asking questions or whatever. But in the same way, it's very closely linked to a lot of things we would say as Christians, we should probably keep away from those things. And when I step back and I look at some of the things that BLM and CRT have done in our society, or at least people have done in the names of these things, I think they are in many cases harming the groups that they're trying to support more than they are doing good so when it comes to crt when it comes to blm i am understanding that like I, I'm, I'm not going to judge you harshly if you're like oh i support this or i'm on on board with this i'm going to have some questions for you because i want to know where you draw the line but for me personally, I think that going about it in a different direction and kind of avoiding the pitfalls that come with those two specific things, uh, that, that's the route I'm going to go personally, is to approach this kind of stuff from a different direction uh, because of all the other things that are entangled with CRT and, and with BLM and, and with some of the other things that are caught up in that conversation um so I think, yeah what, what what do we think ben i think uh regardless of whether or not you agree with the organization the phrase is out there and we're we're having to engage with it just as we're having to engage with the overall topic of racism um and so uh, on some level, I'm of the mindset that you can't avoid it, regardless of what you. I, and so, I should clarify. 
I didn't mean because you're right. It's out there. You have to yeah. deal with it. I meant avoid it as this is part of my my ethic, or this is part of how like own owning it. Avoid owning it as something that I subscribe to. Not avoid it entirely. That is impossible. <laughs> Is that a helpful clarification or did I just make things less clear? Yeah. To, to put it really crassly, I'm not putting that in my Twitter bio. I don't have a Twitter. But if I did, I would not be putting any of that in my Twitter bio. That's fair. Is yeah. I'm not going to be preaching it. I'm not going to be teaching it from my position of authority as pastor, mm -hmm. um, even though it's out there. Yeah. I think the the thing that the movement has done for us in terms of the conversation around racism um, and our responsibility to reckon with it um, is that it's given us a phrase that is pretty hard to refute, right? Black Lives Matter. If if you have problems with that phrase as a phrase, not all of the baggage that it brings, but just right. those three words, those three in words in that order and their definition, according to the, 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 according uh, to Miriam Webster. Yeah. And the syntax of everything going on there. Um, you can't argue with the phrase black lives matter. And we have to, we now have to, as a, as a people, as a denomination, as a theological movement go, okay, what does this mean to us and for us? How are we either advancing in our understanding of this or working against it? And I think that's where, um, that's where I fall, I think, is less of even bothering to engage with, do I agree with the phrase? Do I agree with the movement? Whatever. It starts a conversation. It starts a conversation and it helps us consider where we're at. Um, I remember my fourth year of seminary i lived half mile off of camp or no a mile off of campus not even the half mile off of campus. that that distinction that clarification really matters it does <laughs> um i did not live far from campus um but every day the uh as i walked to the seminary um there was a uphill both ways for anyone keeping track Absolutely. It actually was uphill both ways, uh, downhill both ways as well. But, you know, uh, <laughs> physically impossible, good sir. <laughs> it was crowned in the middle. You went uphill from the seminary to. Uh... For anyone who's not watching the video, I rolled my eyes at him. Thanks, Josh. Continue, Ben. Um, but right at the right at the major the one major intersection that i had to cross uh to get to the seminary uh on the there was one of those like short poles with the buttons for the crosswalk 
and written in very large and obvious letters right underneath the button with the letters FBLM. And I will let people uh, fill in the blanks there for themselves. Uh, I apologize for no um, parental warning on that before I gave it to you. But um, it's, it's one thing to not agree with the movement. To me, it's another thing to write those four letters on a, on a post especially considering the state of that conversation in our country at that time. This was 2020. This was months after uh, the George Floyd shooting in Minneapolis and that whole summer of uh, just very gray and uh, questionable interactions, especially between law enforcement and uh, members of the Black community. Um, and I think as we have that conversation, we just need to be prepared to, to have it in grace, right? Yeah. Doesn't matter if you like the, the organization, doesn't matter if you want to use that phrase or not. But you shouldn't be treating someone in a manner less like we are called to show love to our neighbor mm -hmm. even if they're our enemy we are to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us yeah um so no matter what your stance is you are still called to love people of right if someone comes up to me and they're like i'm all about blm i'm gonna say okay i love you i'll care for you i'll pray with you if someone comes up to me and said i'm really fed up of this organization like mm -hmm. i'm sick of it i'll be like I love you. I'll care for you. I'll pray for it. I'll pray with you. Um, and I think, well, and even with that, I think part of the issue we're coming across and, and, and at, we need to be aware of this is we as a society have gotten really, really good at understanding subtext. Like we're really good at understanding. Subtext. Well, I, I should rephrase the, that. We're really good at reading subtext into situations. There you go. Because the point that so I was trying to someone get... Someone says BLM, and we we don't just understand Black Lives Matter. We also hear all of these other things that we have then associated with that word. So yeah. when if someone says to me, FBLM, there's a clarifying question there of, are you actually against the organization, or are you really fed up with everything the organization has been connected with either in reality or in your mind. And if you're a member of that organization and you see somebody write that on a post or say some say that to your face, right, their immediate response is not going to be um, towards the background information around the organization, but they're going to think that it's an affront to the primary motive of that organization, right. which is around uh racial reconciliation and relationship uh nah, reconciliation is maybe not the right word but it's around racial issues and relationships right and so if if you're saying fblm to somebody that cares about blm they're or, gonna take it poorly yes they're going to read that as racism and sometimes it might be sometimes it might not be but you don't necessarily get the courtesy of being able to find out what they think and they don't necessarily want to give you the courtesy 
of giving you the opportunity to explain yourself. Which to both sides of, of this hypothetical interaction, stop it. You're called to be better. <laughs> right? We are called on one side <coughs> to always put the best construction on things. Mm -hmm. Right. So if if I see someone, mm -hmm. heck, if I see someone on, on a sign, the, the church I'm a pastor of is Edgewater Eastvale. And I see someone out there with a sign that says, I hate Edgewater Eastvale. My response is to say, huh, I wonder what they're taking issue with. It is not to say uh, it is not to immediately flag them as an enemy. Mm hmm. Okay, I am called to put the best construction on their words. So that's one side. And the other side, we should understand when the people around us are touchy about stuff. And I'm not saying walk on eggshells, but you know, it's not going to kill you to avoid the most touchy subject. It's like the same thing with PC culture, right? I, I went to Vanderbilt for four years. I, I know the rules, right? I I, I know uh, I know the PC rules. And on one level, it's like, it can be a little frustrating. Like, what do you mean I can't say X, Y, or Z? But it's like, if you know that word's gonna, gonna upset someone, why not choose another one? Mm -hmm. Like the English language is pretty darn big. You can find another adequate word. And honestly, you can, you can probably find a more fun one, right? I mean, like, still in uh, <laughs> like, there so uh an example there is there's a word that starts with r that like when i was growing up you just it was used to like just you're calling your friend dumb you're not supposed to use that word especially in that context y'all do you know how many fun ways there are to call someone dumb don't like if for no other reason than that i i have a personal dictionary in my phone uh, for phrases I like to use a lot. Um, one of them is, you must have ironed all the wrinkles off your brain. What a great way to call someone dumb. Like, so on, on the one side, yeah, put, people need to put the best construction on everything. But on the other side, if you know that someone's going to be really upset by a word, pick another one. And everybody just needs to calm down. Everybody chill out. Things aren't so bad. Oh, which is my, I think that's my overarching reaction to this entire conversation. Everybody calm down, show some love to each other. We live in 21st century America. We're all doing pretty good. We're all doing just fine. Oh boy. Yeah. I think to kind of wrap us up on one final topic here before we move into takeaways. <clears throat> um, as Josh mentioned at the beginning, we bring this up because many of the the uh, people who are the most vocally against uh, the new large catechism from CPH had uh, racist or nationalist um like ethno-nationalist ideologies and with, i this is worth clarifying it's not they committed some small infraction and that makes them quote-unquote racist like full-on white yeah. supremacy kind of 
and professed ideology. Yeah. This this isn't like a casual, you disagree with me, so I'm going to call you racist. These are people who are like, yeah, I'm racist and I'm proud. No one take that sound bite. Please, no one take that sound bite. <laughs> oh. Immediate regret. Immediate regret. Immediate regret. <clears throat> um, anyway, so as as an acknowledgement of the fact that that is in existence in our in our synod um our synodical president did put out a, a letter saying we need to bring these people under church discipline and i think this is maybe a good thing for us to finish on if and when as uh christians and especially as lutherans with our history with um, the proclivity that some people have towards um, joining us because of the the history of, of our denomination. Um, if we run into people with these kinds of ideologies, we need to be prepared to bring church discipline to... Which remind them that paul has paul has very very um succinctly described our relationships as christians as neither jew nor greek male nor female slave nor free but one in christ and we are members of one body uh the the kinds of distinctions that we set on earth are pointless apart from the fact that they might have something to do with the the diseases and medical conditions we'll face in life um and as somebody pointed out to me recently uh in the form of a meme there is that sounds like something i would do there's oftentimes five times more genetic diversity amongst a single tribe or troop of chimpanzees as there is across the entire human race. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. That's a, that's a heavy meme. Someone yeah. put some serious effort into that one. Yeah. Um, and so whatever differences we claim to see or, or, um, or do see or whatever differences we claim to uh, create the reality is that they are nothing in the grand scheme of of biodiversity and genetics across the world uh, and they are definitely nothing when it comes to how we are called to view one another in respect to the grace of christ our denomination uh embraced that in a uh um motion put forward in convention in 2019 uh, the president of our denomination president harrison confirmed that with his letter that he wrote in the wake of all of this uh, and josh and i plan on living that out uh, to the best of our abilities as sinners in need of god's grace um, and so if you're challenged by this today uh, I encourage you to to remember those things. 
to remember our callings in Christ to to him and to our neighbors uh, and to remember our, our membership in the one body that is Jesus Christ. Yeah, uh, I think that brings us to a place for takeaways. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to decide if there was anything else I wanted to say, but no, uh, there's not. You're welcome. You're welcome. So I think my takeaway is is what I was talking about earlier. Whenever we're interacting with this or any other subject that people are up in arms about, right? Because there's almost a new one every day. Treat each other, put the best construction on things. Seek to understand and show love and grace. Like that's, that is how we are called to relate to one another. Mm -hmm. um, and you can go ahead and apply that to your relationship with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers, with strangers, with other church, like that works for everybody, right? Um, and the other thing I want to leave you with is another way to call your friend or family member dumb from my personal dictionary. Uh, you can say that they have a room temperature IQ. That's a fun way to call someone dumb. <laughs> I want to. I I, I kind of want to do a podcast all on fun ways to insult your friends. Uh. <clears throat> oh man. Yeah. So uh, what about you, Ben? What's your? Oh, and you're a towel. That's another good one. Uh. Anyway, uh, I think I would, I would say as much as we would like to think otherwise, it's important for us to acknowledge that there are still people within the Lutheran Church, within the United States, within the world, who are struggling with the sin of racism. Um, there are people in the world who are affected by the sin of racism. And it doesn't mean we need to be looking for it everywhere but we still need to be able to see it when it exists and where it exists um, and call it out for what it is. Um, and I think our willingness to do that in grace and love, um, both for those who have been hurt by it and by those perpetrating it will benefit us, benefit us a lot uh, as a church, as a denomination, um, as a society even. Uh, as we move forward from this time and place. And uh, my my personal favorite is, uh, you know how in an EKG, when they're me measuring brain waves, it's supposed to have, um, your EKG reads like Kansas. <laughs> oh, that's another good one. You can add that to the list. <laughs> I might, I might. <laughs> Um, if, if you have questions or comments or concerns about this podcast, uh, this might be one, reach out to us personally. Mm -hmm. Don't, you don't necessarily want to do this online, but, uh, and if we're, we, we're here for you, if we have sinned, <laughs> uh, we will repent on air and, yeah. and make known where we have sinned. Um, 
because Josh and I are sinners in need of God's grace and we are uh, trying to do our best to help you guys get engaged in some of these difficult conversations. Um, and thinking about it through the lens of your faith rather than through all the other lenses that people are always shoving in our faces. Um, so, yeah, we, we you appreciate you your like patience and your grace. Either. What? You don't like taking pictures either? Sho shoving lenses in your face? That was weak. That was Thanks. pretty weak, Ben. Um, Thanks. Hey, so, yeah, uh, we appreciate your patience and your grace when, when we tackle stuff like this. I, I do have to be honest, this is the first podcast we've ever done where I was I was actually genuinely a little apprehensive about it because a lot can go wrong. <laughs> um, so we hope it was it was <laughs> we hope this was worth your time and that it was it was helpful and beneficial to you in some measure. If you think it would be helpful or beneficial to someone else, feel free to share it with them and uh, go ahead and send them a link to this podcast, which we hope you subscribe to. Please do subscribe on whatever your podcasting platform of choice is. That is Spotify, Pandora, um, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn FM, etc. I get random emails that we've been added to other ones because they find the you know the hyperlink and and they add it to their catalog whatever listen to it wherever you want subscribe on whatever your preference is it gives us uh some validation some understanding that what we're doing is is worth it um and we have a facebook page if you don't know us personally and you have questions or comments or you want to suggest a topic you want to suggest a host you a guest host you want to come on as a guest host uh if you don't know us personally, you can reach out via the Facebook page. We do check it from time to time. Um, we don't really follow it closely, though, so like it if you want. I, I don't care. Um, ben might care, but I don't care. I don't think Ben cares either. I don't know the last time I was on our Facebook page. Yeah. <clears throat> it's been a yeah. busy few weeks in the Oschlager household, <clears throat> household though, so um we're off next week right we are off next week josh is going somewhere else i will be on vacation so with that uh we'll, we'll talk to you guys in a couple weeks brothers and sisters go in peace serve the lord thanks be to god <laughs>